ओमज्ञानतिरंधस्य ज्ञानंजनशलाकया चक्षुर्मीलितम येन तस्मै श्री गुरुवे नमः also created the medical science military art musical art and architectural science all from the vedas they all emanated one after another beginning from the front face the part the vedas contain perfect knowledge which includes all kinds of knowledge necessary for the human society not only on this particular planet but on other planets as well it is understood that military art is also necessary knowledge for the upkeep of social order as is the art of music all these groups of knowledge are called the upapurana or supplements of the vedas spiritual knowledge is the main topic of the vedas but to help the human beings spiritual pursuit of knowledge the other information as above mentioned forms necessary branches of the vedic knowledge In the process of creation is being described or rather secondary creation the subject matters of the bhagavatam are listed as atra sarga visargascha the first two topics are creation and the subsequent creation it means that the original creation is the manifestation of the material elements by the supreme lord and and the manifestation of lord brahma from the supreme lord and the secondary creation is that which is done by brahma of organizing everything into a functioning creation in other words the supreme lord made the ingredients and gave the intelligence to brahma and brahma like an engineer or a designer put everything in order now apart from the gross manifestations of matter the the planets the oceans the mountains and so on brahma also created the different species of life and everything else required for human society including the as mentioned here the vedas and vedic knowledge now the modern theory is that everything evolved everything is a constant in a constant process of evolution and we find that even students of sanskrit they mostly adhere to the widespread theory or common theory that the vedic literature also evolved that first came the rig the first veda was the rig veda and then after that after some time in the yajur veda then the samaveda and then after the atharva veda and they they base it all on linguistic dating in other words they say the language of the, the, this veda is different to the language of that veda and this is classical sanskrit and then later on developed different forms of sanskrit it's all based on guesswork but they're pretty they convince themselves that this is what happened because they think that man descended from monkeys and that language gradually developed of course classical sanskrit is more difficult than the sanskrit of the mahabharat which came according to them later so how that is how the more difficult came first and the less difficult came later that i haven't explained no one's asking 
You don't ask questions like that. If you ask questions like that, you get thrown out from the university. And then you don't get a job. Then you have to uh, clean the floors in the university instead of making stupid theories in the university. And it's more fun to make stupid theories and be respected as a scholar and get more money. It's more status also. So we should go along with the flow. Don't challenge. That's one of the primary rules of life in the academic institutions. Of course, you can challenge to a certain extent. If it doesn't, if your challenging doesn't go against certain basic theories, if it doesn't go, if it doesn't go against the atheistic worldview, then you can challenge. Within the atheistic worldview, you can challenge. But if you if you challenge in a way that actually, just like the question comes, which came first, the chicken or the egg? So what's the answer? Krishna came first. And by Krishna's arrangement, Krishna, actually Krishna made Brahma, and then Brahma made all the species of life, but they were actually manifested from the Prajapatis, especially Kashyap. <coughs> and the birds came before the eggs, according to Shastra. The birds were born from Vinata, was also the first bird, Garuda, Vainateya, Pakshinam, Vainateya is Pakshinam, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, I am, I am among the birds, I am Garuda, the first and most powerful bird. So they came from the Kashyap, so they were born, the first birds were not born from eggs. Later birds were. According to Shastra, we accept Shastra. Scientists accept their theories and we accept Shastra. They have their methodology, we have our methodology. So they say that everything gradually evolved. And language also evolved. And the, the, the Sanskrit as a language has also evolved. However, this contradicts some of their other anthropological theories. For instance, they say that society is always progressing and developing. So the language, that should become more complex. And it's one of the theories which seems to be quite good. I mean, it's not everything that they say is wrong, only about 99% of it. So one of their theories is that the more developed a language is, then the more developed that civilization and culture is. I mean, it's not a very difficult thing to understand. That if a, if a language is very developed, if there are many ways of expressing and very many nuances in the language, then it's understood that the thought processes of those people are more developed. Although it doesn't necessarily mean that the culture of the people is more developed. If you take culture to mean good behavior. But in other ways, in terms of literature and art and poetry and all these things, then it can be said that the the culture is more developed if the language is more developed. So there are certain languages which are considered very rich or very complicated languages. German and Russian, they're very, the grammar is very complex. Actually, they're similar to Sanskrit, the, the language structure. So you can say that to understand such a language, you, you have to, certain thought processes, certain intelligences required. Of course, not that every Russian or German is a highly cultured person. I mean, for all the 
for all this, the depth of German language, they have, they're famous for hamburgers and frankfurters. Frankfurters are a certain kind of sausage and beer. So it's not, it, it may be that the thought processes of a language are more developed, but it doesn't mean that the actual culture in terms of human upliftment, spiritual upliftment is more because the language is more developed. However, it can be said that the, that the, the scope for expression is more developed in languages that are more developed. Or, again, the word developed, you see the word developed, it means something that's evolved. So the very language traps us in these ways of thinking. So anyway, it's interesting that you see their idea is that first of all there were, there were monkeys and then some of the monkeys start, stopped jumping from the trees and started running around on the ground. And then instead of running on their all fours, because they had to reach up for the food, they stood up and then they became homo sapiens. Or gradually, first of all, there was, there was Neanderthal man and all these different things. There was a missing link. Why is it missing? Still missing after so many years. They found all the other things. They found plenty of monkeys and plenty of Neanderthal men and Java man and Peking man and Homo sapiens, but it's funny, they never found the missing link. Well, that's because it's, it's missing. It might never have been there. They presume there's a link, although there's no, it's only needed a link. They only need a link because to, to fulfill their theory. That proves that our theory is better, that everything was created by God, because there's nothing, there's no missing link in our theory. There's nothing missing. We're not missing any evidence. Our theory is that everything is made by God, an original creator and designer, and everything's there. There's no missing link. Our theory is better. That shows. Anyway, their idea is that eventually you got homo sapiens and <coughs> they used to make grunts. And then they gradually evolved to say, uh, pass the salt or to put on the meat. And gradually their language developed. This is their theory. So according to their theory, originally there should have been very basic languages. I heard in Africa there's some tribes, their whole language consists of 300 words. So you can imagine it's not very advanced. They don't have many subtleties or nuances of expression. Just things like kill, smash, etc. Things like that. So if we see the Sanskrit language, we'll find it is, even to date, unquestionably, the most complex language in the world. Its language struck as a very precise and complex language structure. Now, they have imagined, this is another of their imaginations, you see, just like in anthropology, they have imagined a missing link. So, they, to, to make all their theories fit, like the develop, anthropology, the anthropological theories of evolution mean that they have to, all, all the knowledge that they have of that human society fits, has to fit within that. So, according to them, all the languages should have developed. And according to them, man first came into existence at one part of the planet which they say is in the Caucasus. So, because it's not very likely, you see, that 
monkeys would start giving birth to human beings all over the world. So they said it's only in one place, the Caucasus. And from there, some went to the west and became Europeans, and some went to the east and became savages or Indians. So, the originally they say there was a prototype Indo-European language from which Sanskrit developed, and the, the savages in India were speaking Sanskrit, and the highly cultured, intelligent, sophisticated, advanced Westerners were speaking Anglo-Saxon and all these different kind of things. So they say there must have been a, just like there was a primordial soup, so there was a prototype Indo-European language, which they, they haven't discovered it, but you know, it's another of those missing links. <laughs> it's supposed to be, people, these are professors at university tell all these things, and the most highly educated and sophisticated and advanced people not only believe these things, but they teach it as, you know, this is knowledge, you have to go to university to learn all these things. So, there was a prototype Indo-European language. They haven't found any evidence of it whatsoever. Well, actually, their, their evidence is it's all based on linguistic analysis. You see, because, you see, Sanskrit is similar to, there are so many similarities between Sanskrit, which was from those savages in the, in the East, and European languages. So we have to conclude that they came from the same source. You see, because they all started off in the Caucasus. There was a, in the, in the uh, Black Sea, there was a primordial soup bubbling. And all of a sudden, Charles Darwin's grandfather jumped out. <laughs> he was having a nice swim in the Black Sea, and then he jumped out. And uh, then he made, actually, it had to be, to have a Homo sapiens, there had to be a, what about this one? I never thought about that. There'd have to be a mutated man monkey and a mutated woman monkey also. Isn't it? Because if a mutated, if a Homo sapiens or Homo, pre-Homo sapiens mated with a, with a female monkey, then you again become three-quarters monkey. And the next time it would become seven-eighths. And then they'd all become monkeys again. So it'd have to be like a it had to be a gross mutation. I mean, even it's, it's bogus anyway. But, but even according to their theory, then uh, even according to their theory, you'd have to have a male mutated monkey and a female at the same time. And they'd mate. And it would... You see, now in they're doing genetic mutations. And it's not so easy. If you, you, if you try to mate genetic mutations, what happens? Can you say we didn't study that. What happens? Well, usually nothing happens. There's no... They're, they're infertile. They're in, in, the male is impotent and the female is infertile. So, what happens? Nothing happens. There's no generation of further species. So, uh, anyway, we're, we're, we're at the point of the... They're saying that the Sanskrit language... They're saying that the Sanskrit language is a, is a development from prototype Indo-European language. But another theory, if we say that actually everything was created, it, we can also say that rather Sanskrit, you see, it's such a developed language. How is it, if it's just savages running around, how are they going to have such a developed language? And such knowledge, here we're seeing, Ayurveda, Dhanurveda, Gandharva, Gandharva Shastra, then uh, Stapatya, 
with so much details and, and not architectural science. When we talk about architecture in the Vedic syndrome, we're not just talking about the, the gross physics of building buildings so that they stay up. But there are so many uh, subtle considerations also that this uh, Vastu Shastra has become very popular. Because the universe is much more, it doesn't only operate on the gross level, it operates on the, so many subtle levels also. So there are so many things to be considered. If you put the, if the well is in the wrong side of the building, then there'll be so many disasters and the slope should be in the right direction, not the wrong direction. And there's so many subtle factors because there are so many subtle entities in the universe. People don't know this subtle science. So Stapatya, this uh, Vedic science of architecture is not just a matter of building foundations and putting up buildings, but there are so many subtle considerations also which have to be taken into effect. Just like you should not build a building next to a temple higher than the seeker, as these people have done. It's an offense. Everyone involved in that building, who built it, who sold it, who lives in it, they're all taking a part in Vishnu Aparad. And they all have to suffer for that. But nowadays they don't care. They should care because there are the laws of karma. So such a, an advanced knowledge. And they're saying that, well, you know, it all just evolved. And, and, and how do they write this? You see, when the British came to India, they were faced with an existential crisis. Because they were convinced that we are the best. We are the British. We are conquering the world. We are developing, we had the industrial revolution began in Britain. We invented, we means one of them, invented the steam engine and so many different things. And we come to India and we find they don't have steam engines. They don't have mills to make their cloth. They're just doing it by hand. They don't have all this advancement that we have. So, but on the other hand, they found that they did have a very, again, that were developed culture. Uh, and so much literature. And a very, uh, very complex system of social organization. And the people were intensely religious, even more so than the British. At that time, the British believed in God. Not nowadays, but in those days. And uh, they had a very highly developed philosophical ethos in which discussion of philosophy was a, a commonplace thing. And philosophy, not just this speculative, but very, the, the theological discussions were on a level. They, they were beyond the scope of the British to even begin to understand because they were on such a gross level. So they were faced with an existential crisis that they were convinced that we are the best, but they found that the uh, Indian culture and its philosophy and so many branches of knowledge are just, it made them look like blithering idiots, to use their own language. So what did they do? They, they can't understand it, so they reject it. They say, you see these Indian people, they're living in mud huts, they're savages, and you see in their literature they talk about great giants and, and you see, and, elephant head gods. Actually in the Bible it also talks about great giants and it also talks about uh, people living hundreds of years and all the same thing that's in the Puranas 
in the, not in such great detail. In the Bible, you see, it's just one small, one book. Puranas themselves want to speak of the Vedas and Brahmanas, Aranyakas, Mahabharata, Ramayana, Upanishads, it's a vast body of knowledge. But the same thing that they criticized the Vedic knowledge, you see, they're talking about these great giants and people living thousands of years. The same things in the Bible. Similar kind of thing. But they, on these grounds, they rejected. You see, the, the Indians, they're very savage and primitive and they don't know anything and we have come here to civilize them. So, it was actually based on their malice and envy. But, and then they made it, they made all the, they made this study of Indology. It was started in the British unit, by the British, not out of altruism, but they wanted to show that everything Indian is useless. So the original scholars of Sanskrit from the West, Max Muller and all these people, they studied Sanskrit with the aim of showing that it's all useless and that therefore you should all become Christians. <laughs> so even though they, were, they, they went deep, such a vast body of knowledge, but they, uh, at every step, they criticize and say this is useless and so many things. And they'd, they'd compare it with the Greek Mythology, because they considered that, you see, this is the roots of, a, of our European culture. European culture must be better than Indian culture, because we are Europeans. So I must be better than everyone else. It's a demoniac way of thinking. And they advertise, you see, that all this mathematics was all discovered by the Greeks. They discovered the triangle and pi and all this thing. But it's all there in Vedic mathematics, which predates Pythagoras and all these people. But that, you see, even now they teach in the Western country, and in India too probably, because they have followed the Western system of education, that this mathematics, was, all this was discovered in ancient Greece. And then the Arabs, they say the Arabic numerals. But actually it's not Arabic numerals, it's coming from the Vedic system. And it's known, nowadays it's known, that prior to the... Who, who did they say discovered Pi? Was it Pythagoras? Was it? Someone else. Another Greek. Anyway, whoever it was. Prior to the Greek civilization. In, it was already there, Vedic mathematics. So they got it from India, not vice versa. But they still teach in the schools that this all came from the Greeks because they are bigoted. They don't want to give credit. They don't want to admit that there was a highly a civilization more developed than the present one in so many fields of knowledge prior to the Western so-called civilization. They, they will not admit. And they go on teaching that the civilization was actually developed in the West. And they don't give credit to this because they're demons. They don't want to recognize this knowledge. But actually it's coming anyway. With the modern world, now India is being bombarded with this demoniac Western way of life. And in India, most of the people are simply becoming absolutely demoniac. And same as in the West. Taking intoxication, illicit sex, meat-eating, everything. Same as in the West. But on the other hand, that's also facilitated 
knowledge from India going to the West. So now you'll find it's very common in the West. Ayurveda, for instance. Yoga, meditation, of course. Yoga and meditation, how they're doing. It's not actually... But the thing is, at least, there are many people who subscribe to this. Even about ten years ago, one godbrother told me that in one priest in California, it's a rare species in California, mm-hmm. Christian priests. Really, there aren't that many. But he told me that uh, he'd written a book called The Hinduization of America. And he said, if we don't watch out, that within a few years, or just like in India, they say, if you're not careful, all of India will become Christians and Muslims. So he was writing that if you're not careful, within one or two generations, all of America will be Hindus. And then, one other devotee, he wrote, he was talking about book distributing, he was distributing books in California. And he said that everyone in California believes in karma. You preach, when you're giving them a book, you tell them, so this teacher tells you how to get good karma and you should give a donation that will give you, you see, that will give you a good result. And they're absolutely materialistic, but they believe in karma. So, the bad things are coming here. But also the good things are going there. So now, if we, if this, what is that, when this, after the 9-11, this is in this term has entered the American lingo, 9-11. So after 9-11 they said there is a, a what is it, a clash of civilizations. They always want to make it like some Hollywood movie. They were talking about between Islam and the West. But actually it's going on between the grossly materialistic Western civilization and then in the, in the fortress of Western civilization, Britain, America, all these places. At the same time, the preaching of Krishna consciousness and all these perverted forms of Vedic civilization, all these bogus gurus, that's also going on. Unfortunately, it's not going on on the platform of intelligence. Or they, they talk about, in the Western countries, they talk about liberalism and fairness and democracy, but the academic institutions are absolutely biased against open-mindedness. They're not, they talk about open-mindedness, but you can open your, you're allowed to open your mind within certain limits, just like a horse with blinkers on. You know this? They're allowed to look, but only this way. So their open-mindedness means that we're very open-minded and we accept all kinds of theories. You see, if you want to run around in the streets naked, yeah, that's fine. We're open-minded. If you want to stand on your head in the park, that's fine, you know, we, you know, everything's wonderful, you can do whatever you like, but, but you know, don't say that man didn't descend from monkeys, you know, we can't, I mean, we have to be scientific. Open-mindedness is okay, but we, we can't go against, see, all the scientists, they say that men descended from monkeys, and how can, how can you speak against that? It's not scientific. It's not scientific that men, to say that men descended from monkeys, it's not at all scientific. They say it's scientific, it's not. It's bogus, it's bluff, it's cheating. Scientific means they should prove it. But they haven't even slightly proven it. There is not even the slightest, slightest, slightest trace of any proof that man descended from monkeys, or that life came from matter, or that there was a Big Bang. There is no proof that everything came from a Big Bang. There's only their theories. And their theories are as full, it's like a sieve. You know this... Is jali that you, you may put the uh, when you make the chapatis you put the atta 
their theory has got as many holes as a jali. As many holes means discrepancies. It's full of problems. That's why the, among, astro, among astrophysicists there are 2,000 theories of the origin of the universe. And how many astrophysicists are there in the world? It can't be more than 2,000. So it's absolutely bluffing and cheating. And as the Vedas developed, first of all there was the Rig Veda, and then afterwards the... Okay, all bogus. It's all based totally on their speculation. So we don't... We shouldn't accept these things. As Prabhupada said, we should kick in the face of these people who are bluffing and cheating. In the name... In the, on the high ground, we are scientists. We are presenting knowledge. They're not presenting knowledge. They're presenting... They're deliberately presenting ignorance. What is not a fact, they're teaching it as if it is a fact. Therefore, Prabhupada said they are cheaters. Prabhupada was very strong against these people because it's a fact. They are cheating. They are teaching. This is a fact. Life has come from matter. It is a scientifically established fact that... Actually, they don't say the first paragraph they'll write, according to... According to scientists' latest theories, as if the latest theory is better than the previous theory. In other words, the previous theory was so bogus that eventually they had to give it up and make a new one. And, and for some time, they can run along with that. And then after some time again, they'll find that, no, it's too bogus, that no, we, even we can't go on with it, so we'll have to make up another theory. So this is what they call science. One useless bluff after another. Simply bluffing. So according to latest theories, they will write, I saw this in a magazine some years ago. Now it's not a latest theory. It must be well out of date by now. But according to latest theories, because the, the theory that life developed on this planet from the primordial soup is so completely useless that even they can't go on making it anymore. So according to latest theory, life arrived on this planet by meteorites. That was the latest theory at the time. In other words, their previous theory that life developed on this planet from a primordial soup is so completely useless, that so completely disproved by all available evidence that they can't maintain it anymore. So instead they were saying there was a primordial soup somewhere else and then the life forms which evolved out of that jumped on a meteorite and landed on Earth. And that's how life developed. You see. And then, you see, if then you don't have to give any proof of how the primordial soup happened. Only because it happened somewhere else. You see. And then, so the first latest theory, and then the whole of the rest of the article is written. You see, and then there were originally there were one-celled creatures, and then it developed. And, and the, in the first paragraph, they put the word theory, and then all the rest they write as if it's an established fact, and it's absolutely guesswork. Absolutely, you see. And then there were multi multi-celled creatures and then they joined together to form and then they became gradually uh, snakes and then lizards and then dinosaurs and all absolutely fabricated made up in the just made up it's like some people write fiction and call it fiction and they, call, they sell it it's called science fiction and other people they go in the university and they write fantastic stories and they call it fact so the only difference is one, one class of people are called science fiction writers and the others are called professors, experts, scientists. Of course they, they, make, some, they make some 
mathematical calculations, and then they all they all look at that and hmm, okay, that looks good. It's in there. But uh, and they, then they call it science because there's some mathematical calculation or something. There's some so-called evidence. They dig up some bone in in the Amazon rainforest or something, and oh, evidence! This is you see some bone, and we have some method of dating it. After some time, they find that the method of dating it is inaccurate, and then they have to revise all their theories. Every so often, you see in the newspaper, not that infrequently, that uh, the latest find, this changes the dates. Instead of thinking that the Earth was formed two billion years ago, now we cha- now we change to four billion. You know, just a slight adjustment, two billion years. Ago. Uh, the latest finds means that instead of thinking man, Homo sapiens appeared. 100,000 years ago, 200,000. You know, just all the th- we had so much evidence previously to show that it was 100,000 years ago, but now, you know, all that, that was evidence. You see, we have evidence that man appeared first of all. 100, this is all evidence, 100,000 years ago. And then they find some new find, and oh, now it's 200,000. Well, what happened to the old evidence? If that was evidence that it's 100,000 years, then why are you saying 200,000 years now? Then what, if that's evidence, then how can, then is now not evidence? Before you were saying it's evidence, and now you're saying it's not evidence. And they're, this way they're going on with their cheating and bluffing, and foolish people take them seriously. Which is another reason why people in India are the greatest fools on this planet. Because they believe, they, are, they believe the scientists more than anyone. You are all the greatest fools, not you, but everyone out there. And if you believe it, you're also fools. <laughs> that's another reason, that's not the only reason. The main reason Indians are the most foolish is because they have the greatest culture and instead of taking it up, they're following the lectures and yavanas and eating meat and drinking wine and having illicit sex and abortions and going to hell. So if you have the greatest knowledge and you give it up to become the greatest fool, then you're the greatest fool geometrically. Greatest fool to the power of 100. So in so many ways, Indian people have become so foolish Greatest culture, greatest wisdom, land of rishis and munis, and just a few years ago people would be sitting and discussing points of Sanskrit, Vedic philosophy, and now they're discussing batting averages, cinema stars, and so many useless things, and going to heaven. So you should save You should save these people. You should go out and distribute these books and make people devotees and give them the knowledge that they need. And what is this rascal when the Vedas developed? One after the Rig Veda came first. Rubbish. The Vedas are eternal. Vedas, Veda means knowledge. Knowledge isn't created or knowledge doesn't develop. Knowledge is given in human society by Narayana, the Supreme Lord. And Lord Brahma introduces that into human society. It's not that it, it develops and then some rishi sat down and wrote something. And rishis may write something, but that doesn't mean it's new. Just like if someone, write, someone writes down 2 plus 2 equals 4, I discovered it. You didn't discover it, you rascal. It's, it's a fact whether you say so or not. Just like these scientists, they so-called discover something. And then they write, so-and-so's law. It's not their law, they didn't invent it. They didn't make it. It's going on whether they so-called discover it or not. It's going on anyway. But they want to take the credit. Rascals. It's all simply rascals.
So we should preach this. Don't be victimized. Otherwise, you see, you think, oh, all the West, they have so much knowledge, they're so advanced, they're so wonderful. You believe all these things and think, oh, we should live like the Western people also. No need to believe in all this Hinduism, or even if we do, it's just a little bit. And the Western way of life is much better. You see, the, the, the wife should fight with the husband and have her own independent life. Just a few days ago, I was in Hyderabad. I was, I was some woman I know from Dubai came to see me. And her son, and I asked, how old are you, 24? Are you married? No. He says, when you get married, then you see, you don't send your wife to work. Like they, you, they should stay at home and look after the family. That's the duty of a woman. He said, well, you know, I'm, don't mind, I'm not trying to challenge you, but I think that women should have a life of their own. He said, what he was saying, I want my wife to be a prostitute. He doesn't realize what he's saying. He thinks we're being very liberal and nice to the women. They should have their own life. But then, uh, by nature's arrangement, they don't have their own life. They, they have children. And by nature's arrangement, they have to, they, they should be dependent on the husband because they're looking out, they have to look after the children at home. But they, they should have their own life. They should have their own career and neglect their children, run around with different men. That's what he's saying. If they go to work, it means they spend more time with men in the office than they do with their husband. And they'll be joking with them and laughing with them and having sex with them. So he's, they want, you see, oh, I'm very kind to my wife. I'm making her have her own, letting her enjoy her own life. But they're miserable. Modern women are they're unprotected and, and this attitude, I shall fight with my, yesterday, one young lady came to see us. Horrible. Fighting, arguing, calling her husband bad names. It's horrible. And she's not happy, and of course he's not happy. She, you know, I will show my rights, women's rights. Uh, all your rights are absolutely miserable. And then you're left with the children. Mm-hmm. And you'll find in America that most men, they don't even want to marry. They think, why, marry? why should we bother marrying? The women, uh, they're all prostitutes and witches, and they, they, they behave so horribly and nastily. And then why bother getting What do you marry for? One thing is sex. Another thing is companionship, and you might have a happy home you can come to after, uh, after working. So sex is available anywhere. And if you don't have a pleasant home and companionship, then why should you get married? You can have sex anyway. So that's what's happening. Men don't like to get married. And the women, uh, you see, they've got their freedom and liberation. But they, they don't have a husband, they don't have a home. And... The whole society is totally degraded and miserable. And India is following. And we're seeing now, previously I came to India one uh, more than 25 years ago, my first came. At that time, Indian family life was very stable. Even the British in the 19th century, they, they writing, so they said that the, even an average Indian woman is far more virtuous than the best of our women in England. Some of them will. They have such high moral character. They were so impressed. And uh, family life in India was very stable. But nowadays you'll find every... I know, because people come and tell me. Every family is simply so much tension and suffering. One uh, devotee in Salem, South India, he's actually from a smarter Brahmin family. 
So he, he goes around, he's a young man, he goes around with his father, and they do yagyas in people's homes. And many of the yagyas the men are performing to try to make their wife cooperate and reasonable, because there are so many problems in the home. And he, he says that he sees in the home, goes in so many people's homes, how they're suffering so miserably, they're all so much tense, and, and then the men are running off with different women, and the women are running off with different men, and even he's a young man, he's a strong young man, the women, he goes in their home, and they're, you know, they're trying to catch him for sex. And he's saying, even the, the, the Brahmins, the priests, they're all, because they have so many opportunities, they meet so many people, they have so much of it, they're all having sex left, right, and something. So one of his friends, he went to Bombay to earn more. He's a priest, so he goes and he earns more in Bombay. He died, very, pronounces the Vedas very nicely, very learned pundit. He died at age 30 of AIDS. Big pundit. So, this is the modern Indian way of life. Imitated the West and totally degraded. Lost it. You'll find the young men now and the young men, women, whatever. They know nothing more about their culture than people from the West. Nothing. Nothing. They don't know anything. Nothing. No respect to superiors. No uh, bowing down. Not one shloka from Gita. They don't know anything. They may come in the temple and whatever is there, if there's anything there, help me to pass my exam and get lots of money so I can go to America and get AIDS. Or I can get it here. I can get it here also. But if I get it there, so I can get it by enjoying American money. Why, why enjoy Indian money? I don't know what they think. Whatever it is, it's not Krishna consciousness. They've completely lost their culture. Completely degraded. Absolutely. The only thing we can say is that in India at least there's some sentiment for Krishna consciousness, more than in the West. That's all. Otherwise, in terms of training, culture, nothing. They lost it all. This is the development. They're talking about evolution. It's devolution. They've devolved. Evolution means you develop. Devolution means you get worse in course of time. So now it's time for revolution. <laughs> revolution means going going back to the original point by a turnaround. It's not easy. People are fools. And they're, not only are they fools, but they're stubborn fools. That means like an ass. An ass is foolish. Not only is he foolish, but he's stubbornly foolish. So, give them carrots. Give them ganja halava, offer to Krishna. Bring them in summer. Give them prasadam. Give them solace. People are suffering so much. They need friends. Do something to help them. Hare Krishna. Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai. Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Any questions? Extended family. Yeah, the whole society the whole society is horrible. And even our own devotees, it's very because of the culture, they're forced to live in certain ways. Actually, if the women work, there's not that much financial gain, actually, because you have to buy whole sets of clothes, you have to have 
people to look after your children and you have to spend money on transport and then you have to spend more money on food because you, the woman's not cooking it herself. So you don't actually gain that much money. And the anxiety and the, the lack of family coherence that comes along with it, it's actually not worth it. But it's true that we are to a large extent influenced by the culture we live in and you, you can't escape that to a large extent. Therefore, Prabhupada was saying, get out of this hellish society, go and live on the land. Our temples are in the cities for preaching, but our grihastas, they should live on the land. Make our own society. Get, get away from this hellish modern way of life which destroys all the spiritual qualities of human beings. Make our own society, grow our own food. We're talking about revolution, that is the actual revolution. If you grow your own food and produce your own needs, then you are independent of the modern society. That is the revolution, social revolution. This idea of going back to the land is actually completely revolutionary. Because you become, you, you become, instead of being a slave of the modern civilization, you become independent. And that invaded culture, that independence is very highly prized. Only shudras work for someone else. Now everyone is a shudra. They're trained like that. You have to get a job. No one, even they teach you commerce, the students who are learning commerce, they're never taught how to set up your own business. It's how to work for someone else. They're training you how to be shooters, and that suits the multinational corporations, big, big companies. Small business is not favored by the governments. Small farms are not. It's all, it's all in the hands of the big multinational corporations. And all these big so-called powerful heads of state like Bush and Blair, A young woman is married to an old, old man. Oh, a young woman married to an old man is not the norm, but it may be. Because women need to be married and they need to be protected. And generally there are more women than men in society. So, better than having no husband is better having some husband, someone who can care for their needs, maintain them. So it's not the norm, but it may happen. It's better, better than having no husband. Therefore polygamy is allowed in Vedic culture for people who have enough money to support. A poor man should not have many wives, but those who have enough money, they can take many wives. It's allowed. Do mm. these subtle laws affecting Krishna consciousness? Yes, it's much minimized by the Chinese Hare Krishna, but it's all there. Just like we're talking about the science the, uh, of Stapatya. So the temples are built with all these, not only temples, but all that they're built with all these factors in mind. What, offering a lamp before the deity, what is that? That is for removing inauspicious elements. Nothing inauspicious can affect the deity. But the deity, the Lord, takes as if a human-like role. So, uh, 
Yeah, that should be the, the whole. You see, you don't build a temple in a in a place which was formerly used as a smashan. Now you can say, well, if the Lord is there, then uh, you see all nine elements will go. But no, first the area should be purified. You have to see the land. If the land is pure, there's not all bones in it or physical purity as much as possible should be maintained because if there's not purity on the gross platform then on the subtle platform it will come. And devotees also, if we you see we're chanting Hare Krishna but if we don't keep clean if we cut our nails inside the room for instance I don't know if you do it here or if we don't if we don't keep things clean we allow everything to become dirty definitely that will attract subtle bad elements. You may be chanting Hare Krishna, but uh, these things, they attract bad elements. So the, even the chanting of Hare Krishna will not be as effective if we don't follow the rules of cleanliness. Cleanliness is only one man, there are so many different ones. Cleanliness is very important. People now, they like to eat meat, they keep meat in their home, in their fridge. And meat attracts ghosts. <laughs> Illicit sex, which includes having not only sex outside marriage, but even within marriage, if you do in the wrong consciousness, at the wrong time of day, actually not during the day, it shouldn't be in the day at all, and then uh, that will attract so many ghosts and one of them will, will become your son or daughter. <laughs> People don't know. There are so many rules in Vedic society to protect. The Brahmanas, they would do Sandhya Vandana three times a day. They're going go around them, so they make a, a kavacha around themselves. This keeps out all bad elements. So yes, that will affect devotees also. We depend on Krishna, but at the same time we don't invite, we shouldn't invite ghosts and such beings. We should live in such a way that uh, our consciousness remains pure. There are so many things, just like I was saying, you are now putting your chada by holding it in your mouth. But that, that means it becomes like this you're doing. But that means it, that saliva, that is actually very contaminated. And that becomes impure and unclean. And that kind of thing, that will again attract subtle bad elements. Saliva is very impure. So nothing should... Only the only thing that should go in your mouth is the only time the hand should go in the mouth is when, when you're brushing it in the morning you can do you can do it. Or when you're eating and then after that you have to wash very thoroughly. But now you see people there. Even with the Bhagavatam, yeah, licking it is very good. You don't know. It's very contaminated. That's why the Brahmanas, they used to keep themselves separate from other kinds because they, would, they had to worship the Lord and they had to have the highest standard of purity and cleanliness. So by associating with other people who don't follow all these rules, you see people are not following them, they touch them and they also, contamination spreads by touch. That's why they say untouchable because they're, they're performing grossly sinful activities. If you touch them, you become contaminated. Then you're not fit to worship the Lord. That was the reason. Because they were not clean. There's so many important points.
when am I going to finish my book on Vaishnava behavior? And then you'll get so many things. Hmm. Yes, children are always contaminated because they put their hands in their mouths and all this. Therefore, traditionally men and women live separate and the young children live with the women. Which is another reason women, they don't, they can do puja in the home, but not in public temples. Because they're always with children, and children are always, that's one reason, children are always contaminated. When we ask them to, that's another bogus idea, modern idea, that you shouldn't train children. It means they never become trained. You have to train them from the youngest age. And they become trained. If you say, oh, they're too young to train. It's actually, it's not that they're too young. You are too lazy. You, children, you can train them. That after going to the toilet, you wash your hands. You can train a dog not to pass stool indoors. You, from, a, from a very young age, you train them. So you can train a child also. I've seen in Bangladesh where the training, at least when I was there, was still going on very young children. They're, they're immediately told. It means in the beginning they don't teach them, the young child, that after you're a pastor, the mother will wash them. And then gradually as they get older and they, they start to walk and talk, then instead of the mother washes them and then they, they, they gradually they do it themselves. Instead of having to tell them every time, you do it to them physically. You take them and wash them and then after some time they know to do it by themselves. It's, it's just that people are too lazy. They, they can't be bothered to train their children and then when their children reach 16 and they start punching the parents and, and then they wonder what went wrong. Why are my children like this? Because they never bothered to train them. They let them be animals. Hmm. Astrology, not to advance in Krishna consciousness, but it has, it has its function. Before making any important decision, one, especially for Grihastas, they can, can say, should you marry this person? It's a very big question. If a, a competent astrologer can give some guidelines, should I go in for this kind of business? A competent astrologer can give some guidelines. For advancement, no. It doesn't help advancement in Krishna. But it can help us to uh, make decisions that will help us to lead a more uh, materially wholesome life that may be helpful for us to prosecute Krishna consciousness more peacefully. Hmm. As a deliberate thing, was Darwin deliberate? Well, I don't think so. I don't think that Darwin was commissioned to make up this theory because no one had thought of such a thing before. He was inspired by the uh, illusory energy, by the personality of Kali. I don't think it was a plot by the British. No, Darwin's theory wasn't specifically for destroying Indian culture. It was much opposed by Christians for, for many years. And, uh, but eventually, uh, you see, there were many debates after, after Darwin released his books. 
There are debates between, in, even in the House of Commons, the British Parliament, they were debating on this. It was a very hot issue, very controversial point. But eventually the uh, Christians, they succumbed to the... They, uh, they were defeated because they, of their insufficient knowledge. Are pure devotees affected by subtleties? And they may be superficial. Just like you may be a pure devotee, and, but when you go out in the rain, you get wet. So you may you may go into a. Uh, I'll give an example. Once Prabhupada went for some legal work. He went to a court in Calcutta with some of his disciples, and he told them, "Now you all chant Hare Krishna, do kirtan." And then after some time he said, all right, that's all right. He said, this atmosphere was so much contaminated by so many lies. Now we have purified it by chanting Hare Krishna. So Prabhupada didn't like to be in that atmosphere because he could feel it was so contaminated. Because every day so many lies are being told in the court. So he had the atmosphere purified by the chanting. Mm. How should you go about getting trained on the details of creating a pious atmosphere? Well, the most important thing is to chant Hare Krishna and to follow these regulated principles. If, you, if you're eating meat and drinking wine and having illicit sex and gambling and watching TV and all these things, definitely the mind is going to be contaminated. And if we chant, so the, it's required, do not do these things. And it's required to chant Hare Krishna. That will destroy the contaminations. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. Iti Shaurashakam, Nam Nam, Kali Kalmasha, Nashanam, Nataparatharotaya, Sarvabhidi Shudrishyati. In all the Vedas, there is no better system of destroying the contaminations of the age of Kali than this chanting of Hare Krishna. But there are many fine points also. There are many fine points of Vedic culture. For instance, giving and taking things with your right hand, not your left hand. And then if not putting your hand in your ear or you know, but if you do, you should you should wash it. So many things you don't. Not pointing your feet at others. So many different things. So there's not much training about this. Um, usually when I see people doing things wrong, I tell them. Uh, I'm also writing a book. And I really want to finish Before I go to the West this year, we have to finish this book. So please, you know, don't pull me here and there. Leave me. <laughs> Kindly let me finish, finish this writing. I have, it's very important. But I'm just not getting time. I, you know, come here, come there, do it. I like to be with the devotees, but I, I have to finish these books. Very important. It is so many years it's been going on. It's been in all this book on Vaishnavism, 